Hi, and welcome to our Fourth Universalist Service video. My name is Ember Kelly. I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm so excited to have you with us today. What follows are selections from our service on October 24th, 2021, a Remembrance Sunday service. In this video, you'll hear the reading as well as the two reflections that were shared. Following that, we hope that you'll join us for a short discussion where we reflect on grief with the two speakers who joined us today. You're invited to check out our video and audio podcast each week. It's posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and your favorite podcast streaming sites. We do appreciate any positive reviews. The likes, the comments, the shares, and subscribing, this really all helps to spread forth Universalist media further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is located on the lands of the Munsi Lenape peoples. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle systems of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as we embrace the APUU principle. Thank you for watching. We begin with our reading. first reading today is by Jandy Nelson from The Sky is Everywhere. Our loved one will die over and over again for the rest of our lives. Grief is forever. It doesn't go away. It becomes a part of you, step for step, breath for breath. We will never stop grieving our loved one because we will never stop loving them. That's just how it is. Grief and love are conjoined. You don't get one without the other. All we can do is love them and love the world, emulate them by living with daring and spirit and joy. Our second reading is a reflection from Lara Stone who lost her 21-year-old son, Max, to lymphoma in May. Grief, quite seriously, has no boundaries. It's rude. It interrupts conversations, plans with friends, and Zoom meetings for work. It barges into the bedroom, takes over the shower, and puts on a seatbelt in the front seat of your life and will not get out of the car. And yet, because grief inseparably binds with love, we let it sit with us, interrupt us, and teach us how to walk this new path. Good morning. This past year, I lost both my parents, and I feel I'm just beginning to process their absence and my sense of loss, but I know that I'm not alone, as many during this time of COVID lost beloved family and friends. My mother, Lucia Walker Fairley Pilgrim, a fourth-generation Atlantan, 
was a brilliant, graceful, and creative force, and my greatest champion. She was a loving and supportive mother to her four children, a gifted artist and writer from a family that prized artistic expression. She inspired and nurtured my creative talent and my decision to become an opera singer. Courageous and with remarkable grace in her struggle with dementia and congestive heart failure, she died in her home in Atlanta at 94. My father, William Leopold Pilgrim, Bill, was an Austrian immigrant to the United States displaced by the Holocaust. He was a deeply principled, charismatic leader, a visionary who overcame immense personal tragedy to become an internationally acclaimed architect and devoted father and husband, married to my mother for 68 years. He was my anchor, always there for me when I needed him most. In April of last year, my 99-year-old father was still driving his Mini Cooper convertible and regaling family and friends with stories supported by his unparalleled memory. He took a fall, sustained a brain bleed, and two weeks later, he was dead. Like so many others during this time, COVID hospital protocol meant that my siblings and I were unable to be by my father's side as he wrestled with his sudden decline and impending death. It was wrenching. None of us could hold his hand, comfort him, ease his journey. For most of his life, my father was unable to speak about his childhood and the loss of his sister and parents and extended family murdered by the Nazis. One thing he did share with me was that he was haunted by the thought of his parents in their final moments in the gas chamber at Auschwitz. He could imagine them at the end, alone in their fear and terror. And now I will forever carry the image of my father being alone and frightened in his final days, no family, no one to hold his hand. COVID has been cruel in so many ways. My grief is with me still. At times, so is the feeling of being lost and ungrounded. But through this past year, my Unitarian faith and engagement with members of the church community has helped me feel connected and grounded in purpose. And this engagement I owe to my parents. You see, they came to Unitarian Universalism in their quest to find a spiritual home that would bridge the divide between their Catholic and Jewish heritage. Ten years into their marriage with four young children, they joined the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Atlanta, UUCA. Although incredibly busy with a young family and career demands, my parents threw themselves into the life of UUCA. In 1965, my mother founded the art gallery at the UUCA and went on to present over 100 exhibitions by avant-garde artists, making UUCA an art destination. My mother helped Coretta Scott King write thank you notes to people who wrote to her after Martin Luther King was shot. My parents believe passionately in the inherent worth and dignity of every person and actively supported the UUCA in advocating for change. My father volunteered as a consultant in the design and construction of the new church, and from 1968 to 70, he served as president of the congregation, and in 12 years, the congregation grew from 300 
to 1,150 members, becoming the largest UU congregation of its time. They were beloved and admired fixtures at the church, and their friendships in the congregation became some of the most meaningful and enduring in their lives. As a child growing up in the church, I remember playing with my younger brother after services, terrorizing adult congregants with our wild games of gotcha last. We studied world religions, attended a variety of churches, mosques, temples, and synagogues. I took courses in human sexuality, ethics, decision-making, and through UUCA, registered as a conscientious objector to the draft in 1978. Four years later, when I arrived in New York at the Manhattan School of Music to study opera, I began my search for a Unitarian home and settled at All Souls on the east side. I became friends with the senior minister, Forrest Church, and spent many hours with him and his pipe in his study discussing the complexities of the human condition. I taught the ethics and decision-making seminar to juniors and seniors at All Souls and was active in the young adult community where new friendships buoyed me and broadened my perspectives. A few years ago, at a retirement dinner party for Unitarian minister Bruce Southworth, I was seated next to our Reverend Schuyler and his fiancee, Kristen, and thus my relationship with Fourth U began. I'm now a proud member of the worship arts team and the racial justice team. I found extraordinary reward in doing good with like-minded congregants who, like my parents, championed the seven, now eight, principles of Unitarian faith. Working with others in the 2020 Reclaim Our Vote effort to enfranchise disenfranchised voters was a highlight of my year. Even through COVID, I continued to build meaningful relationships and friendships at Fourth U. The Unitarian Universalist community, its mission and good work have grounded me in this time of profound change and loss. My parents are gone, but I am ever grateful for the Unitarian legacy they left me. I grieve with all of you who have lost someone in the recent past. I wish you peace and purpose in your days ahead. My parents led bold and inspiring lives. And in that spirit, I'd like to close with words by Reverend Bruce Southworth. Whatever we can do or think we can do, let us begin it this day. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Let us be bold in our loving, our living, our giving, and our forgiving, so that the world awaited is more nearly the world attained. Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Anthony, for your words today. Today, I call the heavens and the earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. As we gather here today on this Remembrance Sunday, I want to reflect with you on how grief and remembrance have shaped my own experience of living and working in this world, both as a cancer doctor and as a person of faith. As some of you might know, 
I've been in an oncology fellowship training in Brooklyn for much of my time here at Fourth Universalist. I'm now in the final year of that training, preparing to take the next steps of starting a new job and building the foundation of my own independent practice, caring for people with cancer. Cancer medicine is a field that's full of difficult emotions and painful realities for everyone involved. To practice in this field means working in the presence of griefs and traumas, not only the griefs and traumas of our patients and their families, but also sometimes one's own griefs and traumas. One of my recent responsibilities as a senior oncology fellow was to give an hour-long educational presentation called Grand Rounds. For a long time, I had trouble settling on a topic. One topic did keep coming to my mind, but I knew that I probably should stay away from it for my own good. In the end, though, I went against my better judgment, and I chose that topic anyway. I delivered a review of pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer is one of the deadliest types of cancer that we treat. It's a cancer whose prognosis is almost always measured in months rather than in years. I set the stage for my audience with a clinical case of a patient, a 53-year-old male in good health who unexpectedly developed abdominal pain and vomiting, was brought to the emergency department, and was ultimately discovered to have a blockage in his gastrointestinal tract coming from a mass in his pancreas that would turn out to be pancreatic cancer. I reviewed this patient's clinical course after his diagnosis, including courses of chemotherapy, radiation treatment, and even a major surgery that had initially been deemed too risky to pursue. The patient, while weakened and scarred by his treatments, was able to keep on living and spending time with his family for over three years following his initial diagnosis, which for pancreatic cancer is like an eternity before imaging scans heralded the cancer's inevitable recurrence and progression, finally leading to the patient's death at his home at age 57, with his wife and son at the bedside. I went on from there to deliver the bulk of my presentation, a comprehensive review of the current evidence-based guidelines in pancreatic cancer workup and management, but at the end of the hour, I circled back to that clinical case. And I shared with the audience that the patient in question was my dad, Matthew Sandler. My dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the start of my freshman year of high school in Boston. He died in the middle of my senior year. My life and the life of my family has been forever changed by what happened all those years ago. My father's journey through cancer was part of what propelled me into a mission of serving others through medicine. Idealistically and perhaps naively, I dreamed that one day drawing on my family's lived experiences, I could offer humanity and hope to patients with cancer, and in doing so, create a unique meaning out of my family's hardships, 
so that all of our suffering would not have been in vain. This narrative was very powerful. It carried me through college and then through medical school and ultimately all the way into residency training. For the longest time, I just kept on running forward without looking back. By the time I was a third year medicine resident in the Bronx, preparing to apply for an oncology fellowship, it had already been 10 years since the death of my father. And I was now a long way from home. The idealism of my high school and college years had been largely replaced by disillusionment from the chronic stresses of residency training and from being immersed on a daily basis in the material and spiritual hardships of caring for some of the most underserved communities in the city of New York. My mission to serve others through medicine remained outwardly strong, but behind the scenes, my resiliency had been worn thin by the realities of the world. And my old griefs resurfaced more and more. Many times, alone in a room where no one else was looking, I cried. I came to understand that deep down, I was still the boy losing his dad to cancer and who was powerless to change it. I was in over my head. I hadn't prepared for the impossibility of dealing with everyone else's traumas while also somehow tending to my own. I found myself questioning everything, including my plans to become an oncologist. From within the depths of this dark night of the soul, I came to a revelation. While I could not change what had happened to my dad and to my family, I could choose how to respond to it. It was then that I finally remembered my dad. Not my dad who struggled with cancer, just my dad. In my mind, I freed him from his diagnosis, from everything that had happened to him, from all the weakness, from all the scars, and I saw him for who he had always been. I felt his kindness, his patience, his sense of humor, his smile. I remembered the quiet joy and warmth that he radiated when he came to watch my cross-country races or to help me and my classmates build homes with Habitat for Humanity or just to enjoy a quiet night at home with our family. I remembered the love he had for me and for my mom and for all the people whose lives he touched with his own. I realized how much I missed those things. I realized that he wouldn't want me to suffer no matter how noble the cause of my suffering might be. I realized that if he were here, seeing me as I was now, he would probably hug me and remind me unconditionally that I will always be a blessing to him and that to love and to be loved was enough. I realized that I now faced a choice. 
I could not change the impact of my father's death on my life. I couldn't change what had happened. I couldn't forget what had happened. But I could choose to remember my father not only by how he died, but also by how he lived. It was in this spirit that I came to the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York and joined in its mission to heal with love, to help with compassion, to bless with joy, and to serve the spirit of freedom in the fullness of community. This is not the end of the story. The challenges of being an oncologist are far from over. I'm sure they've only just begun. And in the wider world, COVID-19 and all of the sociopolitical realities of our times remain challenges for us all. But I hope that even amidst the hardships and the grief and the trauma of this world, we can each still find the liberation of choosing life so that we and our descendants might live. May it be so. Amen. Well, I am so excited today to get to sit down with Jason Sandler and Anthony Pilgrim who had the chance to share their reflections with us today. Uh, Jason and Anthony, would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Sure, I, I'll, I'll jump in. I'm Anthony Pilgrim, uh, his, him pronouns, and I'm a lifelong Unitarian, uh, originally from Atlanta, Georgia, been in New York ever since coming here for graduate school and um, happy to join in this discussion today. And hello, good morning. Uh, my name is Jason Sandler. I use he, him, his pronouns. I'm originally from the Boston area in Massachusetts, and I came to New York City about five years ago for, to start my work in uh, my medicine residency. And I've been coming to Fourth Universalist Society for a little over three years now. So today's service is just a little bit different than our traditional service with Remembrance Sunday, where we take time to remember those that we've lost as a community, uh, who have passed in this last year, but also people in our individual lives who we've lost. Uh, and so these reflections, they were very personal. So the, the normal questions about what were your inspirations? What sources did you draw from? Don't quite make sense. Uh, so for today, I thought it'd be really great for us to talk about why it's important that we as a community take time to do this together. Like, yes, many of us grieve alone, but it's also important to do this in community. So why is this important and impactful for you? Why were you part of things today? Well, thanks for, for asking the question, and I appreciate the opportunity to share uh, some of my experience this past year with the congregation. And it's been a great challenge losing both parents, and at times I've, uh, I've felt lost and ungrounded. And to me, what has been most helpful is feeling grounded in community and purpose. And the Fourth Unitarian Universalist uh, congregation here has provided that to me. And I wanted to share a little bit in my reflection about how I got here and, and that connection being a lineage dating back to my parents' decision to join um, Unitarian congregation in Atlanta many years ago. And, how grateful I am for that and what that experience has been uh, for me in working through this very difficult um, challenge. 
Uh, thank you. Thank you again, Anthony, for your words. And, uh, and, and thank you, uh, Amber, and, and everyone for the opportunity to, for us to share. Uh, for me, I wanted to share some of the experiences that I've continued to have uh, working as an oncologist, working in cancer medicine, uh, really dealing with uh, things that have been around even before we've all been dealing with COVID-19 pandemic and these, these other things that have engulfed all of us during this past year and a half. Uh, one of the things that I've been reflecting on is how the griefs and the traumas that we've experienced before, uh, even if they come from many years ago, do not go away. They're things that we continue to hold. They're things that can rise up again when we least expect them, uh, can certainly get amplified during, during times of greater stress, such as this pandemic that we're living through and times of transition and change. And so uh, I wanted to give voice to some of those feelings that I've experienced and how I've been dealing with them and maybe maybe offer a, a, a little insight or uh, ways that we might think about dealing with those things and um, holding on to life, even in the face of difficult challenges like these. I so appreciate you both uh, taking the time to share today, both uh, to, to sit down with me even so briefly, but also with the, the whole congregation to share your reflection. And, uh, you know, grief, grief is not always the easiest thing to share about in a very public setting. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate your your vulnerability in sharing with the community. And uh, you know, I think that, that that vulnerability really helps us as we process our own grief. Uh, and I know uh, that this this service today feels like a great opportunity for us to acknowledge that like emotions are are a real part of our life, and it's not something that we need to run from, and it's not something we need to hide from as a community. It's some it's a way that we can care for. Uh, and hold space for each other. So thank you both for sharing today and for sitting down for this little brief uh, time of reflection.